Welcome back. Welcome in Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. Tuesday morning, Chris Anderson, it means questions and answers. And then time of the year, not a lot of answers because there's not a lot of questions. We kind of have like evergreen concerns when it comes to rosters. Uh, some new I really, I really do feel like that the summer is going to be very much about college football playoff expansion and probably some name, image, and likeness stuff. But more importantly, we're like two weeks away from having recruits on campus again. That'll be a whole bag of stories I'm sure we can get into. And, and not surprisingly, that kind of is where today's Q&A um, dips into right away. Um, I know. Are you rolling up your sleeves and cracking your knuckles here? Or are you kicking <laughs> up? Because it's going to be a grind for about, um, what, about six weeks for you? Yeah, I think uh, you can kind of feel the momentum shifting towards recruiting. Uh, everything's kind of shut down. And really, the only people that are getting, you know, uh, usually this time of year, coaches are out evaluating players. And, and you have stories with that with, oh, hey, you know, uh, Jeff Coons was in Atlanta today seeing some linebacker and then traveled down to Savannah and saw another kid and da 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 da. That's not, it's not a thing this year. It's still not, that's still not happening. So, and that's usually the buildup to June camp season is the coaches going to see these kids in person and then inviting them up to camp. Um, this time around, kids are still doing camps, they're still doing seven on sevens, but the only guys that get to see these kids, uh, these recruits at these camps, are kind of our national guys. You know, we've had stories from Andrew Evans, Greg Biggins, Brian Doan, a lot of those guys, because you know, it's Elite 11 camps and it's camps down in Miami and and these guys are there and they're covering them. And that's kind of getting me like, all right, here we go. It that That's what I'm going to be doing here in a couple of weeks because a lot of these guys are going to be coming to Morgantown and they're kicking things off with, you know, June 1st is the first day um, you could do in-person visits and West Virginia wasted no time setting that camp for June 1st. You see the first day for basketball? No. When was that? I believe it's the second week of June, right? Oh, boy. Uh, June 14th is the first one I see. Sorry, June 12th has a father-son camp. Oh, yeah. Oh, for camps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did so see that. Like, um, I don't know. That's It's interesting that you can get in so fast and then you're going to wait two weeks? I don't know. Is that – I don't know. I guess because the coaches can go out June 1st, though, can't they? Right. As I say, basketball is usually – even before this, like in other years, before pandemic, it was the the – true elite like maybe they had camps like in june sometimes but the the their elite camps the ones where they really have players um are in july and even early august and obviously football once you get to august they're they're turning their focus towards fall camp and getting ready for the season but basketball i know they're often having a big time elite camp like that first week of august and the reason being is that aau events are so big right go out and see stuff and then they establish themselves and you get them on campus if you can for elite stuff. So maybe you go out and you see them at an event or two in the first two, three, four weeks, and then you get them in for that later part. So that's not unusual. I just, I just wonder what the enthusiasm would be like to do something unique and different, but man, if kids are really eager to go out and start playing in peach jams and hoop, hoop group stuff and all that, because it's out there and they haven't had to a chance to for a while. And more importantly to be seen, because there's going to be a lot of coaches there. That, that certainly makes more sense. It's an observation on my behalf here. Um, I have delayed this this morning because I had unexpected internet issues at my house. So for the sake of the people, let's forsake the babble here because it's not going to be much different than it usually is at the very beginning. And I think a lot of the stuff we would talk about um, would be in the questions and answers that are forthcoming. So should we just dive right in? Let's go. That is applause you hear in the background, Chris. That's <laughs> people listening going, oh, thank God, not 20 minutes of them going back and forth on transfer portals or roster management scholarship transfer situations we'll just get into that which might actually dovetail a little bit but same deal as always vip subscriber questions chris and i answer as best and as often as we can with the the spoken format and then chris will come back in sweep up the good stuff and the stuff we didn't get to in the written part that'll come out later today um good questions here this week some some I think, like I said, the ones that are important because of the way the calendar is about to turn, but also ones that are important because I think what the summer is going to turn into. So, um, hey, where do we begin? Because I think I've seen one or two that I know you want to get to. So uh, I have an idea. Let me see where you want to begin. Go ahead. I think, you Omaha, know, usually I ask the, I was going to say, usually I ask the questions, but I feel like this first one you want to kick off with is more directed towards me. Instead, instead of those people who keep saying, hey, Mike, 
in the, in the Chris and Mike Q and A thread. Yeah. <laughs> no, my feelings aren't hurt. It's okay. This one is indirectly. Hey, Chris, I think <laughs> it's it's from Omaha year, correct? Yeah. A lot of talk this morning about rankings disputes and final rankings. This would have been yesterday morning. Um, which recruit over the years did you disagree with the experts the most? Who did you fight the hardest for that turned out great? Who did you fight for that ended up sucking? Hmm. That last one may be hard to answer. You may you may not care either. Um, uh, but I'm sure there are answers to each one of his questions there because listen, this is part of the of what we do. Um, there is discussion and debate about let's move this guy up. Should he be up? Explain to me why he's here and not here, or why he should be here and not here. That's I think what people don't realize. It's not just one guy who goes out and sees a kid and says, "Put him here." It's like a conference of voices that shape our rankings, too. So um, I don't know. Describe that process briefly and then answer those three questions. Yeah. So there's a rankings committee of, of senior scouts that handle that stuff. And, and they get the final say on things. But they do take input from guys like us. Like, you know, but they're not going to just take input. But like, hey, I saw his film. He looks good. Like, no, no, no. It, it's if we see them in person or get to see them at games or whatever, they'll take your input. Add it to what they already know. Maybe reevaluate the film if, like, what we say doesn't jive with what they originally had, and and take a look at it. And then again, like they they all discuss it. We're not in there on those discussions on what the final rankings are, but they do take our input. And over the years, you know, a lot of those guys that that we've seen at West Virginia camps, when I put my input in there, you know, they take it and and. There hasn't been too many that have been drastically different. Uh, what I said and what they said and, and eventually determined. Um, the ones to answer the last part first, that who did you fight for that ended up sucking? I, I, I'm not toot my own horn here. I can't really think of too many that where I said a guy was good and then he wasn't good. Uh, there have been guys that I've said, are, hey, this guy is amazing. And then they get in trouble or they get kicked out of school, or whatever, um, transfer, whatever it is. It's not the skill that's the problem. And we saw that most recently with David Vincent Ocoli, who I was pushing extremely hard for to get four-star ranking. Uh, he got it, and then obviously um, a little bit of off-field trouble and, and out of the program already. So that's usually where that goes wrong. I did realize, so when I was looking at this, uh, not to babble too long here, but I, I went back. And looked at some of my early stories on camp stuff, the early years. And a mistake that I was making early on was, and part of the reason was because, see, Mike, you didn't you didn't get to experience this, but in the, in the early years, mm-hmm. they used to make us sit in the stands in the in the in the bleachers, wouldn't let us stay on the field. Uh, they didn't have the practice field set up; they wouldn't really be up there, and we had to stay very far away. So. We didn't get an up-close look, really, at a lot of these things. You're kind of watching from afar. You're not figuring out what the testing is, seeing how fast guys are, seeing truly how big guys are. Because those early years, you're sitting in the stands. There's the huge hump on the field at the time. And you're like, is that guy 6'5", or is he 6'1"? I can't (laughs) tell. Yeah, the crown. Like You can't tell how big he is. You can't tell how fast he is. It It was crazy. And I put too much emphasis on... The performance, like I know that sounds strange, but like it was just like, hey, that guy is amazing. That guy should be good. And it turns out, you know, yeah, he was getting open during one-on-ones and he ran fast, but he was 5'7 and 175 pounds and ended up at like a D2 school. Uh, So when I was going back looking at some of those things, like, you know, there were guys that I was like, this guy was amazing. And he went to Monmouth. Uh, This guy was, oh, this is incredible. Went to Charlotte. You know, they were good, but the testing numbers... And the size, the measurables, that's the kind of stuff that's also extremely important when it comes to college recruiting and these rankings. And I wasn't taking those into account early on during this. So did you, I, I mean, I know you've only been doing this for what, one year on the recruiting side of things, but did you notice any of that the first time you stepped out there? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I want to, I want to answer that in, in, in connection with another question. So let me. Yeah. Let me let me just defer for a second there, but I want to know who you liked that you got a win for, and who you liked that you took an L for. Um, so that the one of the ones I was thinking of was that Terrence Green, uh, as I mentioned, Monmouth, a uh, kid that just absolutely dominated at WVU camp, 
but again, I think I, I found out later, like he ran like a four nine uh, in the 40 yard dash and ended up at Monmouth. And I was like, yo, top camp performer, elite, elite, elite recruit and ended up at Monmouth. Um, a win and one that's one of the early ones was actually just pure luck was Christian Wilkins. And it wasn't so much of a dispute with the um, scouting, you, you know, the council, if you will. But I saw him. I just lucked into it. I was living in Boston at the time. I saw him at Boston College Camp. And as soon as that camp was over, I was like, this kid is a five-star recruit. Put him in the top 25, five-star recruit. And they were like, whoa, cowboy, you know, we haven't seen this kid. We don't know who you're talking about. You have, you know, don't really have the reputation as like a scout on this stuff. And I think a few months later, they put him as like a high four-star. And then he ended up as a five-star. And obviously an NFL first-rounder, All-American um, national champion at Clemson. Um, that was a, that was a no doubter. Uh, he just happened to not be ranked, but the one that I would say is the biggest disparity between what I thought and ended up being a win for me was actually, I think you might've been, I mean, I know you were there, but I can't remember if you were at the field with me was Mike Hall out of Ohio, yeah. a big defensive lineman. And he came, he didn't have an offer. He had an 84 rating from 24-7 Sports at the time, and he was massive. He looked extremely good in agility drills, and then he rolled his ankle, and I thought his day was done. And instead of like just packing it up and being like, ah, I rolled my ankle, I'm not doing it anymore, give me my offer and I'll go home. Um, instead of doing that, he fought through it and went and did one-on-ones and at worst – Fought to a draw. I think he might have won all these battles against Wyatt Millam, Tomas Remach, and Landon Tangenwall, the Penn State commit who was also a four-star rating. So the, like three of the best offensive linemen I've ever seen come through West Virginia's camp, he played to a draw and maybe won all three of them on a rolled ankle and measured in great, agility great. And I came out of that saying, this kid's a four-star, this kid's a four-star, this kid's a four-star. And our council had already seen him, and we're like, nah, he's 84. Um, he had a great junior year after that. That was the summer before his junior year. He had a great junior year. They moved him up to an 86. Then he got an Ohio State offer, committed to Ohio State on February 1st of last year. On February 28th, he got bumped to a 93. And then he finished the cycle as a 97 out of 100, like literally on the verge of a five-star rating. Um and that was one where I was like, yep, my eyes don't lie. Like, you know, I might be off a little bit, but that was one that that was very recent and very, I was very adamant he was a four star. And, and there's a lot of opposition to that, at least to start. He got the Larry Johnson senior buzz, too. Once, uh, <laughs> yes. once that guy finds you, you're going to get um, some some credibility, too. Terrence Green, by the way, I don't think you're wrong. Have you caught, caught up with his career? No. Three years, 104 catches, 1,483 yards, 15 touchdowns at Monmouth. Um, and really, it's his freshman year is 11 games, 16 catches, 142 yards. This past year, four games because of the pandemic. But last year, 2019, I guess it would have been, 65, 9, 16, and 10. Hey, so I'm not catch. crazy. I knew so, it. I mean, maybe he is suited for that level, and he's he's dominant at that level. But that's, again, you're seeing this FCS to FBS thing that's kind of happening. I don't. And that might become a bigger deal too. I mean, maybe kids who I don't know, I don't know if they'll bounce back, like go division one, division two to division one again, but you're gonna find guys who aren't gonna have scholarship opportunities at the FCS level, FBS level now because of the transfer portal. They're gonna start in the FCS or find their way there somehow. And there's been a number of players who were drafted and who have come up to the FBS and then been drafted or have come up to the FBS just to finish their career. Um, look, guys like that are gonna slip through and they're gonna they're gonna have to prove something. And Junior college is not inviting to a lot of guys, especially if you're a qualifier. And the difference between junior college and the FBS with, you know, all that cliche stuff about they don't take anything for granted. They don't have the luxuries. They come in, they're on a mission. How is that any different than the FCS? Like, they have some luxuries. It's not the same as an FBS program. Um, I'm going to prove myself at the highest level. We'll start a division lower. You can do it. Uh, I think just because they, they don't start there doesn't mean they can't end up there. I wonder how much of a, again, is that a trend? Is it a fad? Who knows? But that would be a guy you profile. Like maybe he's a guy who can become a good inside receiver for you. Uh, he was an inside guy, right? Um, yeah. 
and, and just find a way because he's proven himself across time. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the question that I didn't want to duck, but I do want to answer was the next one. And I'll keep asking here. NC wayward ear. Um, besides the quarterbacks, who are the campers that you're most interested in seeing in June? So you've asked me like my observations and were my eyes tricked by things that I saw that I didn't know. Um, you may have an idea. You better have an idea of who you want to see when you go in, Chris. <laughs> Who's going to be there? Who needs to be evaluated? I'll, I mean, I'll probably read that. I'll definitely read that. But like part of the fun thing for me is that I'm, I'm so novice on this or I was so novice before I got my card, but I liked it as watch. And then, and then kind of note the coaches, like there's a player who's there and he's got just his position coach by him, but then he's got a second coach. And then like a couple players suddenly surround him. And all of a sudden here comes Neil Brown. That means something. Um, when Travis Trickett has his stopwatch on somebody and then shows it to Chad Scott and then all of a sudden, Chad Scott's sitting there looking at it. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jordan Leslie. When yes. things like that happen, and then all of a sudden, that player gets pulled from the main group into a more elite group. There's so many things like that that give me context clues that they're on to something. This is a somebody. This is a guy that they knew about and is showing up. This is a guy they didn't know about and he's showing up. That, to me, is kind of fun. And then there's just some guys you look at and like you watch them run or you watch them throw or you watch them run through a drill. And like I'll look at you and be like, that guy's good, right? Because I don't know, but like my yeah. eyes, I say this a million times, use your eyes. There's sometimes that you can just see something or see someone that it really works. And like uh, Wickstrom's the one guy that you and I both talk about. Uh, Jaido was another one, too, where you're just like, holy cow. So those are two examples where Wickstrom, I didn't know about him. Um, I just knew that he looked like a tank running through linebacker drills. And next thing I knew, I was I just turned you and I was like, that looked like he ran a four or five. <laughs> and I was like, he's good, right? And you're like, it looks like it. Yeah. And then he's doing tight end stuff with Trickett. And then similarly, like we're just standing there watching uh Jaido come over and then we, we can say who this was now right yeah 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 thick just goes my god who's that yeah. <laughs> which means well, that like nobody nobody knew who these guys were because like, as you just noted Vic, Vic, Koning, Vic Koning was like wait who is that like looking at us like we would know we didn't know these are just some Europeans that came over I got a list from our Penn State site because they were at Penn State I think the day before or two days before I got a pin uh, a list like 10 minutes before the camp started of hey, there's some Europeans coming. Uh, a couple of these guys are pretty good, and that was it. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So I'd like to I'd like to go in with just a little bit of an idea because maybe I don't want to miss somebody who's going to be like a top name. Like if 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 a Mike Hall came for example this year, like a guy who's good, is he going to be great? Let's see. Or if a guy who is great comes in, is he is he as good? All right, cool. But there's some people I just want to figure it out on my own and see like, all right, that guy passes all the visual tests for me. What's the deal? And if all of a sudden he's not involved and he's not he's not getting up the ladder in, in my capacity that I'm watching with. And maybe that's the time to move on too. but uh, just a different way for me to do it. So yeah. I mean, you may have guys you're interested in for me, I'm interested in seeing linemen, um, just offensive linemen. I wonder how much development they got and, and more importantly, how much scouting they got the past couple of years. I could see them bringing a ton of offensive linemen because they have to even defensive linemen, because they have to be so broad with their evaluation because they weren't around to watch them last year on campuses or at, at spring practices or high school games or anything. A right, couple things here. One, I agree with you. Offensive lineman. Um, that that was my pick. I've already done that written answer. It's mm -hmm. going to stay in there. Everybody can read it. But because uh, I think and hope and expect that the offensive linemen that are currently committed in this class are also still going to camp. And so I'm really excited to see them because they've basically been kind of stowed away and hidden for almost two years. I mean, those kids in the Northeast, you know, from Connecticut in Katarinczyk uh, uh, and uh, we'd been up in uh, Massachusetts. Like those guys didn't play. Like we haven't seen them. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how their bodies have developed since the last time they played. And so I'm very interested to see them at camp. I'm hoping and expecting that they will participate in camp along with their official visits, but not confirmed yet. Just kind of hoping it. Um, side note on the Mike Hall thing. Uh, I was completely on an island on that because even after that performance at West Virginia. West Virginia didn't offer him, didn't offer him. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, it's not like uh, it was a consensus so that he was amazing or anything. It was, he just didn't get offered. And um, the other thing is you noted it. I, it, it makes me laugh every time. Cause you watch those when they run the 40 yard dashes, there's like four or five lines going at the same time. And at some point it kind of spread out and there's even, there's like one assistant coach and one GA one trainer, one assistant coach, like at each line. And then they do it once and you, you get to run it twice. And by the time they get to the second time, sometimes you'll just all of a sudden see like 
three lines just have one GA at them. And then this other line, when this one kid's about to go, has like five assistant coaches at it. Mm-hmm. Like all standing there with their, their watches out and they're all comparing. What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? I got this. I got this. I got that. Um, I remember that um, specifically. I mean, several kids, but I, I, the one was really crazy was uh, Kerry Martin a couple years back mm-hmm. where they were very interested in what he would test because he had been up there several times. They wanted to see his numbers improve. They wanted to see his, you know, 40 yard dash improve to see if he could play corner and safety. And so they ended up, I think at one point had like six assistant coaches, uh, a trainer and two GAs all standing there ready to record his time. It was, it was pretty wild. It's important to like the strength coaches too. If all of yeah. a sudden Mike Joseph is over there watching somebody <laughs> like, all right, Mike, what can you do if you get this guy on campus? And all of a sudden he's sitting there and he's watching explosion or his body frame and things like that. You're thinking, all right, they're actually thinking down the road here a little bit too. Um, similar question here, Chris, in the vein that you and I are probably going to come from different perspectives and have different answers, but it's a really good question too from Crow Town ear. Uh, can you and Chris talk about, again, they're asking me, Chris, and not you. <laughs> can you and Chris talk about what makes some coaches better recruiters than others? For example, Greg Chiano comes into Rutgers and they now have a top 10 class of 22. University of Kentucky is ranked at 11. And while WVU has improved, it's always in the thirties. Yes, this is a podcast big question. I regret nothing. I yield the floor to you, Chris. Let's start with uh, Shano. Uh, great decision by Rutgers to bring him back, first off. Um, because, one, he's already proven he can win, win-ish there. With, did pretty darn well there, actually, especially for what Rutgers was at the time. Um, but he, there's always guys, if they come in with the right attitude, with enthusiasm, with kind of a salesman type attitude, when you first arrive somewhere, because usually when you are first arriving somewhere, that somewhere is on a bad in a bad spot or has been in a bad spot because you know the previous coach is fired or gone or whatever. You're trying to rebuild, recoup. You can sell a vision. You're selling a vision. So you almost every coach gets a boost that first year because it's like. You, you you can't say, hey, we're going to do that. Like if you say if somebody in their sixth year, seventh year as a head coach at a school comes in and says, I'm building a top 10 program and you're in year seven and you finished above 500 once, they're going to look at you and be like, you're full of it. But if you're in your first year to school or first year back to school, like Chiano, he can come back and say, hey, you might have been six the last time that, that when this happened, but I had Rutgers as a winning program. Last time I was here, I'm going to do it again. Come be a part of that. And you can sell that. And New Jersey has players. And again, that's what this always comes down to. Uh, New Jersey has the players that if you could just pick some kids out of New Jersey, you can finish with a top 25 class. Now, Shana's doing above and beyond that. And Kentucky, while Kentucky does, the state of Kentucky doesn't have a ton of schools, they're obviously right on the border with Southern Ohio. And you can pick Southern Ohio and pick a lot of schools, and Kentucky gets to play the SEC card, which, unfortunately for WVU and others, is still a thing. Um, it, it, it's going to continue to be a thing when they can say, you know, 15 of the 30 first NFL first-rounders came from the SEC, and, and they're just going to just put that on a card and just hand it to a recruit and be like, okay, next, and keep doing that. So that's always going to be a thing. Um, but, but being a salesperson, being somebody who can sell a vision like Greg Schiano can for whatever you think of him, he can do that. I think that's big. He's got a staff too. Yes. Like Fran Brown is, I believe it was Fran Brown, right? He's one of the top, I don't know, 10 recruiters in the country. I think a lot of people say top 15, he's in your top 25 poll and he's, he's in that upper half. Uh, I believe Gleason is there as their offensive quarterback. And that's a young, bright guy who's had offensive success wherever he's been. So he's got guys who can go and do the job for him, too. But I'm with you on that, too. And not only that, but, like, one, Big East to Big Ten, he can he can say, I did this before, now I have resources. And that's cool because you can do that. Whereas you were – you know, you're, you're kind of making them envision what it might have been at the Big East. You're getting the Rutgers now, and you have all that Big Ten support, whatever. God, it still feels weird to say they're in the Big Ten. Um <laughs> But that's that just makes it come easier. Like, why can't we have that? Like back in the Big East days, he could pitch this and this and this facilities, um, even recruiting assistant coaches too. Like, it, it's hard to buy into that. It's all there right now, and it's a check. 
right? That's all that has to happen to make things happen sometimes. So I think that's easier for them too, and that that just takes care of a lot of stuff too. Also with him, I think what you see is what you get. You see a lot of these coaches, and you wonder how much of it is a sales job. My experience with him and people who know him is that it's it's pretty legitimate. Like he's not over the top, and he's committed to the chop wood, chop wood kind of stuff, and that really hasn't changed across time too. Um, and he's got NFL experience in between there. That's that's going to be important to kids too. He's just kind of a I don't, I don't know that he's a model that you would try to replicate, but it just checks so many boxes. You know, successful NFL, you know, Patriots, head coach, back at Rutgers, bigger, better place than it was before. You know, by and large because of him, and all of a sudden it's working again. Got a really good staff, too. I would say that um, you have to have some sort of NFL connection, I think. Like, that, that seems like it's kind of a, a vain thing, but I think that's kind of important. because, And again, whether it's your staff or your, your head coach, just – just to say that you know the way to get there and you know people there, I think that speaks to a lot of kids because if you're going for the top shelf, those are questions they're going to ask and they're going to look at that. How many guys have you put in the league? I'm going to play corner for you. What can you tell me about your corners coach? Or how many of your cornerbacks have gone to the NFL? What is What about your scheme has put your guys from all-conference corner to first-round, second-round, third-round pick? That stuff's really important too. Um, I, I would say that generally the stuff that you would talk about, you know, personality, media visibility, you know, kind of the commitment to the visibility and exposure. That's all important too. But I think the NFL piece is just so significant now too, because kids are thinking about that right away. And then you kind of get into, I think who is going to be ahead of whatever arms race we're in now with NIL, with, you know, ability for kids to market themselves like West Virginia's kind of doing with the whole, um, Jeremy Darlow partnership and, and just kind of positioning for future success. There's a, a life after college thing that I don't know if it's parents are more involved or kids are more realistic than not that there's, they can get involved in their careers a lot earlier. Um, I'm just thinking that, uh, in addition to the obvious answers here that we probably don't have to spend a lot of time on, but we're in some type of a, a phase right now where we're going to be over the top here. And then people who are able to see past football, whether it's NFL or Working at a Fortune 500 company or something like that. And again, if you're in a bigger spot like Metropolitan New York, which is eh, kind of Piscataway, I wonder how much he's leaning into that about you're in a big media market here. You're not far from DC or from New York City. You're all these major you know, media companies, all these major entertainment companies, all these major businesses that are around here. We can get you involved. Uh, I think that'll be an answer to this question sometime from now, a year from now, five years from now. I don't know, but I think that's coming. Yeah, and and the assistant coach part that you mentioned there at the very beginning, it's extremely important. Like you look at those recruiter rankings, like who who are the top recruiters in college football? It's the same daggone people, like all almost all the time. Vince Marrow at at uh, Kentucky, like he's been doing it for almost a decade. Where it's like, oh man, he's getting another kid to Kentucky. He's getting another like maybe it's not the Kentucky part, it's it's the 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 Vince Marrow part. Uh, Al Washington, who's now at Ohio State, he was at Boston College recruiting Christian Wilkins. Try to tie this back into the previous story. He was at Boston College at the time trying to recruit Christian Wilkins there. Nearly got him from Clemson. And now he's at Ohio State as Ohio State's top recruiter. He's number four in the country, according to 24-7 Sports uh, recruiter rankings at the set, at the moment. And and he's been successful everywhere he goes. Terry Smith at Penn State. I've been hearing that name for I don't know how long. I don't even know how long he's been at Penn State. But before that, he was a high school coach, had a ton of connections, and he's been very successful. So he is, you know, these kind of things with these these recruiters, and they know. These recruiters know, and they know how to play the game. You will hear of assistant coaches who will don't even care about recruiting, don't even focus on it, don't care about rankings. They don't want it out there who they're recruiting. They don't want it out there who they're um, after. And then you have other assistant coaches who will kind of, um, say leak who their top recruits are, mm-hmm. uh, who's visiting, who they really want, you know, really kind of focus on it. And, you know, and it was like, oh, does that stuff really work? Like, yes. <laughs> Look at the people, the people who are successful as assistant coaches in this business, they have their fingers in just about everything involving those recruits and, and the stories that get out there and, and it works, it works. And, and that's how they end up in the top 10 of these recruiter rankings for 24 seven sports Every friggin' year. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's it's inevitable. You got to do that. So I that's why having big salary pools for assistant coaches is important because one, you get them, and two, if you're good, like like you think Frank Brown's gonna be at Rutgers forever, no. right? He's probably yeah. gonna be making seven figures before too long because someone's gonna hire him away. That's why you got to have that money there. Yep. All right. Your uh your next question here. I'm I'm probably through with my uh, cream of the crop there at the top of that list. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll switch. We'll switch from recruit. Well, kind of recruiting. It, but I I'm gonna. Put a twist on this question, a, l- a little addendum here. Um, this is from Die Hard Ear 24. If we add another quality cornerback through transfer, is there a chance Nick Troy Fortune gives up some snaps and we try to use more of a rotation rather than relying on a single quarter corner for the majority of the season? Which um, this is me jumping in here to his point has been the go-to move. I mean, last year it was two corners, and that was it. They're extremely lucky not to have injuries. The year before, they tried to do two corners, and that was it, but injuries kind of forced their hand. Um, My follow-up to that, and you can address both parts, is Nick Troy Fortune a guaranteed Power 5 starter? Is Is he like, you know, yeah, no doubt, like he's a starter for this team. Depending on who they add, okay, that's that's the answer. Um, uh, he's done what he's supposed to do to be in that conversation for sure, and to be on the right side of the answer. Like I don't know what more he's supposed to do. Like I mean, pick off more balls, I guess, uh, score more touchdowns, I guess. But he was good. He was he was certainly, I would say, above average, right? Like, I'm asking above you. Replacement. Yeah, I was gonna say his. I mean, his his scouting grades look solid. Uh, 74.7 for the year last year, 74.6 in coverage, which is uh, pretty darn good. Um, you know, I just noticed that, that there's been a couple comments about them wanting another cornerback, wanting to get another guy in there. They're definitely getting help, I think, you know, is, is how Neil Brown put it. That was before Charles Woods, so maybe Charles Woods was the help and that's it. But uh, he's also made some comments about Fortune needing to be more aggressive and needing to go after balls and, and do some things. So I'm wondering if, I don't want to say they're not happy with him, but I'm curious about some of these comments and maybe they are trying to get a three-man rotation or find another starter and use Fortune as that third guy. And I don't know. I'm just, that's why I'm asking you. It's a good question. I mean, and it's kind of a, I would, I would think a lot of people believe that the PFF scores and the scouting scores are pretty accurate for cornerbacks. It's very different for offensive line, for example, but like a lot of what corners do is it's on the island, as they say. It doesn't really hide from you. So those scores are good, and they're probably pretty indicative. Um, they would be higher if he made more plays, but they're high because he didn't give up a ton of stuff. Now, I think with experience comes a boldness and ambition, an ambitious streak in a cornerback, and he's probably at that point where he has to do that. So I think it's natural for Brown to ask him that. Um, I don't know who's taking the spot from him right now that's on the roster because Woods may start, but is Woods starting opposite Jackie Matthews? Is Woods starting opposite Daryl Porter? I don't know about that. Um, I would think the fortune's in there. If they bring in someone who's better than Woods or better than Fortune, then certainly Fortune's in, in trouble. But you're going to have to find somebody who's probably better than Fortune for sure to knock Fortune out, which is not a bad goal. Like, if you can find a starting-level cornerback, if Nick Troy Fortune is your second guy or your third guy, we're talking about how he's a good enough option as a number one right now. That doesn't put your defense in a bad spot, especially the guy who's got two seasons left. Well, like, three seasons left, right? So... I think that there's there's a good argument to be there, and like we we've seen the, all the clues here. They're talking about it. They're recruiting it still, even though they have one. Um, I think it's probably foolish to think that they're going to stop at three editions. I think you mentioned that on the board yesterday, but um, I did the whole 
transfer portal position coach ranking and in the lead or in the second paragraph, I guess. But like in, in the introduction was that Brown is barred ahead every year. Why would you think he's not going to do that now? Especially when there's such an influx of talent. Like we've never seen this many players in there. Why be hamstrung by three? So I think it's likely they do. And I think it's likely they do because they want to upgrade the position. And I think they want to upgrade the position because they have questions from everybody from fortune to Andrew Wilson lamp and everybody in between. I would not feel as good going into a season with Woods, Fortune, Matthews, Porter, which is four guys, as I would with another player who's somewhere between Fortune and Matthews. Um, I would feel a lot better about how that's going to work because I can still see them putting Matthews in a safety spot or putting him as an extra defensive back in the field. I don't know where they're getting that from safety. Safeties are safeties because they're not really great in coverage all the time, too. So now maybe that's different. With Alonzo Adai, maybe you get a safety and Alonzo Adai becomes your third cornerback. Or maybe Kerry Martin can play your third cornerback if you get an extra safety. But um, I would think the best way to improve your coverage and then give your secondary more versatility would be to find a cornerback. And there's going to be plenty out there for sure. Look, look how many have just jumped in the past couple of days. Like, good players. You're not going to get maybe the four or five-star guys. But there's going to be people who are there that aren't getting spots because there are so many good players who are out there and getting scooped up before them. This next question is from WV Blessed. Um, it's coming, and I need to know, will the name, image, and likeness bill help or kill WV football or stay about the same? I think it can, I think it can hurt more than it can help immediately because I think that they, that they screw up the launch and the introduction, they're going to be behind. But I'm not sure even if they nail the introduction, it's going to help them that much. I may be wrong. We can debate that and argue that. We're talking completely in hypotheticals here. Um, I don't think the same is is realistic, and that better not be the goal either because you want to change things too. So um, I think that there's there's potential for it to be very helpful, and there's a potential for it to be way, way more of a detriment to what they're doing because maybe they're not ahead or maybe they can't offer. This is going to be an arms race. It just is. Like in, I don't know what the reality is for, for reasonable concern. I see people saying things like the big companies that are affiliated to a school are just going to sign checks for players. That's, again, this is what Sean Fluharty, who's the delegate from Ohio County, he sponsored the legislation. These are scare tactics to make people stand against it. Like, And there's, there's going to be regulation in there. There's going to be a reporting and a tracking system. And if all of a sudden some guy who's just a guy, he's a redshirt freshman and he's a four-star, but he came here instead of Alabama, if he's making ten grand for pitching chicken wings at the fishbowl, that's going to stand out and you're going to get in trouble. Now, getting to that policing mechanism, how do you, how do you, how can you get someone in trouble, report them, police this, when you're not supposed to impede upon NIL rights for student athletes, that's going to be tricky, but that's a lot of what's going on is trying to figure out how you can make this non-corrupt. Um, I think a lot of the people that are involved in sports betting in the state or in some type of governmental capacity, you know, when, when something goes weird there and something seems strange, when a betting line is going crazy, when there's a lot of action on a game, it gets flagged and looked at. Similar concept is going to have to be applied to this. Like if, if kids are a team or, if some company, if their if their involvement or their income is just through the roof and it doesn't make sense, it's going to stand out too. But I also don't know, like I don't think that John Howard Motors in Morgantown is going to be paying a bunch of football and basketball players money to pitch their cars. It doesn't make sense for them in their business model. It just doesn't. Now, can they write that off as marketing expenses or just include that in their budget? Maybe, but I think that would probably regulate it too. So the answer here is that it's up to West Virginia too. Like, this is going to happen. You, you've got to invest in it, and you've got to do something with it. It's ultimately up to the school to figure out how they can make this an advantage or mitigate um, the degree to which it's a disadvantage. You're not going to get much argument from he, me here. Uh, I think this first year, maybe two, it, if, if you do it right and you have a great rollout and you get ahead of it, you might get a small boost over other schools. And if you screw it up, you could take a big hit, but I think either way, it's going to be like a one or two year problem because then things are going to kind of even out as they try to find a more, you know, a model that is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're the capital J journalist. Uh, mm. 
like even for everybody, like a, a model that everybody in the NCAA is going to follow. It's not going to be state by state, like equitable for everybody. It's going to be a national plan instead of a state by state plan. So I think that will eventually happen. Of course, it's the NCAA, so they're going to take their sweet time. You saw how, you know, the deadline was whatever it was, July 1st, and they're having a meeting this week, and they said, eh, we'll get to it in June, which is just peak NCAA. Um, but I think eventually it's going to kind of, everybody's going to be on the same on the same page uh, on a level-ish playing, uh, playing field. And so I, I, I'm with you, though. This first year or two, if you screw it up, if you dilly-dally don't get legislation through and you're one of the few states that doesn't have it, your schools are going to get screwed. And, and if you can get it out, get it right, get it out, and you know everybody can get paid and all this stuff, and you're one of the first, you might get a little boost about with that for a year or two. So uh, it'll be temporary, but I think once things kind of even out in three, four, five years from now, it's not going to have that big of a difference on West Virginia. You know, I, I don't think all of a sudden guys that were going to come to West Virginia are now going to go somewhere else because of this. Because I yeah. think that the name image likeness opportunities are going to be kind of even. Yep. It's not fair right now anyways. Like, look where the top 25 players yeah. in the country go every year, right? So yeah, like, I was going to say, people who are worried about this are acting like all of a sudden recruiting has been pretty even amongst all the college football programs. It's not. Yeah, like you're kind of it's silly to think that like FIU's in Miami and Miami is a big media conglomerate place. Like so FIU's going to become a powerhouse. It's not going to happen. Like and it's silly to think that Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State aren't going to continue to recruit really well or that their their connections to big time sponsors and donors are going to help them more than they do. Like it's already it's already like that. Like more likely what it does, especially at West Virginia, I'm not sure it's going to pull a lot of kids to West Virginia. Um, but like that maybe aren't more already interested, but it's when you're on campus, like that's when it's going to happen. Like it's not, I don't think you're going to see in most schools, a kid come to a school because he's promised this. I think you're going to see when kids are on campus and they prove themselves, then all of a sudden they have access to these things. And now maybe that attracts some other kids, but they're still going to have to work for it. And like, where are you more likely to become a star, Alabama or West Virginia, right? It's not going to tilt the scale to West Virginia just because some point guard or some quarterback made some money while he was in Morgantown. Like you still have to get to that point and you're more likely to become a star at certain places. And those places are kind of established. I'm not sure it's going to change a whole lot because kids can make money while they're on campus. Next question. I got maybe three more here. Uh, this one, uh, the next two actually are from J Mole 1989. Uh, the first one, maybe this is a quick one. Uh, combining both football and basketball, which transfer player will have the most impact for their respected sport? Give me Malik Curry for basketball. I just think he's going to be like a guy who attacks the basket and and plays, you know, really good defense, better defense in the backcourt than they've had since like Carter Miles. Um, can I take the field in football? Well, I the way I read this question is you have to pick one transfer for both, like not one each, but one total. Like, do you think Malik Curry is going to have a bigger impact on basketball than any? transfer is for football again i got i don't I, I would like to see who the other football transfers are there's going to be more of them for one but like yeah. so like i was saying if i had to pick between nestor dixon and woods right now i'd probably take the fields because i'm not sure how much woods plays i'm not sure where dixon plays and i think nestor has a chance to be really really good right away but i don't know we'll see so i could see them adding somebody post-spring high quality player who does more um which would make me think that that might be my answer but of a known commodity right now. I just, I really think Curry's going to fit. I think he's a guy who's going to get you two point baskets and he's going to solidify your defense. And they need that. And, and they also need a guy who's, who's seasoned, can play in the backcourt on both ends. Doesn't have to come off the floor because he's a liability in, in a late game situation. He's not a terrific shooter, but surrounded by the right parts. Does he have to be? No. So I like his potential. Um, so my first thought was individual players in basketball are going to make a bigger impact than individual players in football, unless that football player is the quarterback. Um, so I was immediately drawn to picking one of the basketball transfers over any football transfer as the most impactful. Um, I would agree that it's Curry if McBride leaves. Mm. I think, you know, but if McBride stays, not that I don't think Curry is going to play a role in this team, but I still think, like, you know, if Curry's not there, 
what happens with that team. You know, you fill it in with the freshman or, or, or try to make it work. If you still have, if you still have McBride, Sherman, and McNeil, which there's no guarantee you have all those three, then Curry's your fourth guard. And so I'm not entirely sold on him being that big of an impact player. Uh, but then, then, then you've got the big men, and they're going to be split in time. So is one going to be more of a impact player than the other? I, I don't know about that. And so I then go the exact opposite way of where I originally started, and I go to football, and I look at Doug Nestor, and because, one, I think he's good, potential great, Two, because when you get to that offensive line and you, you're talking about him maybe playing right guard, right tackle, left tackle, just adding him in and knowing that he's going to be one of those five or assuming he's going to be one of those five, it kind of it, it moves everybody down a peg. And all of a sudden you're, you know, say he's the second best lineman or third best lineman. Now all of a sudden your previous third is your fourth best, your fourth best, your fifth best and so on. And your offensive line is only good as your weakest link. And all of a sudden your weakest link got better, and so did everything above it because you added Nestor. So I think out of all the transfers, Nestor's going to have the biggest impact. I like it. Let's see. All right. Uh, also from J. Mole, 1989. This is a tough one. What is the one thing that Neil Brown does good as a football coach and one area you feel he can improve? Same for Huggins. All right. Uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. There, there's a there's a bond here between them, and I think the right answer for both of them on that they share, and there are I'll give you individual ones too, but their teams play hard. Like Huggins' team has played hard since day one here, and I really think Brown's teams have played hard, and like Brown's team has been beaten badly three times. One's Oklahoma, the first year, so brush that aside. One is Missouri, his second game when the quarterback was hot and the tight end was hot and you couldn't do anything about it. So I don't want to say brush it aside, but still it's also a long time ago when it was early in its inception. And then Iowa state this past year, but even in some of their, their double digit losses, their, their two score seemingly lopsided losses, they were in the games and maybe when they didn't have the firepower to do it, I can admit that, but I also watch him play and they play hard. They don't quit. They don't go away. And I think that's a good thing for him because that's, that's at least half the battle, especially as you're trying to, get traction and move forward. And, and Huggins is the same too. Um, Huggins, I don't know. I, I, I wonder sometimes about playing time and the length of the leash and rotations and, and things like that. And I, I think he's right for a long time to be infatuated with the quantity of players he had. And, you know, our 9, 10, 11, 12 is going to be better than their 9, 10, 11, 12. And we're going to play 9, 10, 11, and 12 because we can. They're going to play 9, 10, 11, and 12 because we made them. And that was by and large the, the strength of the press observationally for me the past couple of years, I didn't think they had 9, 10, 11, 12-man rosters. I thought they got in trouble by players who just didn't have the confidence or the experience on the floor to be effective, and it hurt them on offense and defense. So rotations, playing time, however you want to call that, the apportionment of minutes. And, and I think to some extent, yo-yoing a player's confidence wasn't his strong suit. And for Brown, very easily, it's, it's game management and a half stuff like that, that we, we see him calling timeouts that don't belong on the field or, or running out of time at the end of a half or, you know, needlessly pausing or detouring or borrowing from a critical moment in the future to address an unnecessary situation in the present. Oh, speechless. No, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I can just say, you know, uh, okay, I agree with Mike and, and avoid any late night phone calls for myself. Um, but I think, on the Huggins thing, I'm with you. Uh, the first things that kind of came to mind is a little bit of, it, like you said, it, it seems at times where you're watching guys and one guy has the shortest lease possible and you look and you see another guy who can screw up just as bad or maybe worse and not get pulled and not get done. or, or and you know, And that kind of fluctuates. And I think when it comes to basketball, consistency is key for a lot of these guys. And, and if you get a guy that's playing 30 minutes, then 12 getting pulled for shooting a three or not getting, and then another guy that's can turn it over five times and take crazy shots and not get pulled. It, it throws guys off. You have to get them in a rhythm. You have to keep them in a rhythm. And 
I, I think that's the one area where I'd like to see him improve. I think the other spot where he is uh, has a strong suit is uh, his ability. One, he's amazing at kind of, I guess it's motivating, kind of like, you know, using the media and using his words and saying things. And a lot of people, like, I know a lot of it's like, oh, this is some of the things he says is so trite and so annoying. Oh, you're just saying the same thing every time. And some of the things he says are like, why would he say that? And then you see the motivation. You see the guys flip a switch. You see guys do different things. You know, we heard the worst basketball defense he's ever seen in his entire life. And then they came out and played better. Uh, Derek Culver soft. And then Derek comes out and plays better. And, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, questioning Miles McBride's toe injury. And then McBride comes out and does stuff. So I think he does that well. He does motivation kind of well. I am curious about. Again, like you see, I guess it's kind of tied into the rotations and, and his his uh, leash on players. Mm-hmm. For Neil Brown, I'm 100% with you on the end of game, time management, end of half, all that stuff. Uh, we dove into that plenty as the year went on this past year. Um, and But this is one thing with him that, and, and I, there's probably a lot of coaches like this, um, one way or another, Whatever happens with this football program, it will be Neil Brown's fault slash because of, you know, he should be praised for it. Like if, you know, things go well, he deserves 90% of the credit. If things go bad, he deserves 90% of the blame. And maybe you argue that head coaches should always be that way. Uh, But you see a lot of head coaches that delegate things that, that pick a guy and then that guy handles a bunch of this stuff. This guy handles a bunch of that stuff. That's, you know, that's what coordinators are for and assistants and all that stuff. And yeah, he has all those, but Neil Brown has his hands in everything around that program. I'm talking top to bottom. And so if this, if his tenure at West Virginia is successful, he deserves all the credit in the world. And if it's not, He's going to take a lot of almost all the blame, too. So, uh, you know, we don't see how the future is going to go. We don't know what else might change, but he is involved in everything. And I don't want to say that's good. I don't want to say that's bad. I'm just saying it's going to, you know, make it very clear who deserves the credit or deserves the blame uh, a few years down the road. I promised individual strengths because I gave him a collective strength. Um, Huggins' defensive adjustments, when, when things are going bad, he, typically finds a fix there. They'll, they'll gap stuff. I'm not talking switching in and out of zones, although it was pretty effective this year, but you know, they'll gap stuff. They'll shut things down on one side. They'll keep the ball away from player. Um, there's, there's a bunch of them he does. And I, I've kind of liked Brown's third down concepts of the years. And I think that there's something you could look at mm-hmm. in his past and that he just, he has a good, good, whether it's a short and medium or, or long, he has something there and it's, it's built off of something else. Like he's really good at attaching plays together, whether it's package plays or one thing to set up another. And I think a lot of that you see on third downs, there could be three things built into a third down play, but there could be something that happened first quarter, first down, whatever that comes into play on that third down that springs a a necessary gain. He's pretty clever on third downs. People probably have written and talked about that. I think he's done clinics on it before, but um, an underrated thing that probably shouldn't be so underrated. Since we got pretty serious there, let's let's end things on a little more lighthearted note. This one from Poka Ear Seventeen, uh, not a WVU sports question, but what do you all do when you aren't covering WVU in your free time? Hunt, fish, slow pitch softball, pick up ball at the Y. Mike, you want to lead us off? Uh, I have a lot of bruises and and sore ribs and a sore jaw still from two weeks ago. Uh, I've been doing Muay Thai for quite some time. You got belts and everything, but it's fun. It's a good cardio. It's a workout. Uh, I'm, I'm a prize fighter, Chris. <laughs> I only come down the tunnel when the stakes are high. Don't, don't hurt that pretty face of yours, Mike. <laughs> well, it's not me that hurts it. It's the other people who are far better than me at this. When, you're the, when there's five people in the gym and you're the fifth best one um, and you get shark tanked, that's uh-huh. not a great day. <laughs> and it's not a great two weeks after. Um, which is bad because I, I like to cook and eat. Like I grill and cook a bunch. Um, that's that's like a pandemic thing for me. It was like, all right, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna go crazy. And you know, it was it was uh, air quotes here. It was dangerous to go to the grocery store, and I couldn't stand 
getting the the Instacart because they always like subbed out what you wanted. So it was hard, but it was frustrating. But I wanted to make food, and that's always been something I've done. I've always had a grill or a smoker, but I'm in the recipes and starting from just ingredients to something that looks really good on Instagram, for example. But mm-hmm. good food that you know easy to make or hard to make something you know recipes all that stuff um not a lot of tv for me not a lot of sports for me uh i'll read every so often i don't i don't read about sports i'll books mysteries things like that fine um and then travel a lot like man we give up so many of our saturdays and our weekends to basketball and football that when we're clear that this time of year like fridays saturdays and sundays they're to go out and do stuff so pretty normal i think apart from inviting and getting punched in the face <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm big on uh, you know he brought up pick up all the why that dag on I miss that because I I hate I hate working out I really do, but playing basketball full court five on five uh, was playing every Monday Wednesday sometimes Friday mornings um, and then obviously I, unfortunately they still haven't even brought that back at my local Y um, so I haven't been able to do that lately uh, that was my my favorite way to kind of stay in shape. Um, I am probably as big of a degenerate uh, gambler as you uh, might expect from my terrible gambling advice. I love poker. I love, uh, you know, wagering on some games and stuff. Nothing crazy. I always, I've made this mistake when I was very young. Thankfully, it wasn't too egregious, but um, only wager money that I have uh, on the side. Nothing too bad. Uh, One day I'll tell the story of being stuck in New Jersey, unable to get back because I had no money. Uh, one day I'll tell that story, but, um, other than that, you know, coach, Hey, I coach little league, coach basketball, coach football, uh, because as you guys also could probably tell from the board, I love nothing more than trying to tell everybody how the best way to do things, uh, in sports is. So uh, I don't get much, I don't get much negative feedback when I'm coaching seven-year-olds. It's a lot easier at that age, uh, to tell people how to run plays and what the proper zone technique is and all that stuff. So. Uh, that's where the majority of my time goes. Mm. So <laughs> is the, is the gambling better or worse now that you have access to apps? Like, like I think you mentioned degenerate. I think I told you this, I was breaking it on FCS football games a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. like the Stetson Hatters were my, <laughs> were my payday. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I got, I remember a few screenshots from you and I'm like, I don't even recognize that team mascot. What the heck is that that right, you're sending so- me? Yeah, and the coach just retired, so I, I probably owe him a commission, I guess. <laughs> but, like, that's more fun because, I mean, back when it was, like, you had to go nefarious ways to find ways to bet. Now right. it's so easy, but that's kind of dangerous, too. Lucrative, don't get me wrong, but are you any better or worse at it now would be my question. I, I am better at it. I have um, – so I do a lot of stuff on FanDuel, and I I shared this tidbit on the board because they got rid of it for a while. But you I mean William just, Hill, Chris. Excuse me, yes, Uh uh, William Hill, of course, uh, sponsor of CBS. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but same game kind of parlays that, uh, and I, I don't really enjoy watching NBA basketball that much. I mean, I do. If it's around, I'll, I'll turn it on. I'll turn it on tonight for the play-in games, for instance. But there was a thing where they do where same game parlays, and they'd have alternative points, alternative, and you could pick whatever point total, rebound total, assist total for every single player on the court. And obviously the odds would change based on which number you would pick. And I found that for NBA teams, when they're playing, when the games mattered, like I haven't done it in the last week or two because a lot of guys are getting rested and injuries and all this stuff, getting ready for playoffs, tanking. But during the regular season, and I'll pick it back up again now that the playoffs are starting, NBA players are remarkably, especially superstars, remarkably consistent in what they put up every night. Um, so you can bit pretty much bank on, you know, for instance, LeBron James putting up 18 points, four rebounds and five assists and, you know, piece that together with Anthony Davis getting 16 points. You know, don't I would never get too like, you know, they're projected to get 28 points. So I'm just going to pick them to get 16. I'm not going crazy. And you piece together a bunch of those and you can get three to 400 plus, you know, plus 300 plus 400 odds, three to four times your money back. But I was winning two out of three times and getting my money, getting three to four times my money back every time. And it was extremely lucrative there for a while. And then they pulled it. They stopped doing it. Yeah. And, and I shared that on the board and I was like, man, this was great. And somebody else said they were doing the same thing and found that it paid money. And then all of a sudden I got an email and it was like, same game parlays are back. 
And so I started doing it again. And then, like I said, I stopped once, uh, you know, the tanking started and superstars are sitting out and resting and stuff. So look forward to uh, doing that again now that the playoffs are back. You mentioned basketball, the why. Yes. Is there something coming back, whether whether it's not just because the pandemic is is near the end of the tunnel, but like it's also nice out now, too. Yeah. Um, and we've been inside for winter and then sometime before that for a different reason. But is it basketball or is it, or is it something with the kids? Is it? camping something that you're looking forward to that's a one that's on your list of things you like to do outside of covering west virginia uh, i'm looking forward to getting camping uh we uh my family and i we like to go camping we like to go out in the mountains we like to go hiking playing in the creek and all that stuff i every summer when i was a kid went to holly river state park there in west no virginia. kidding no kidding love it there and i when the pandemic started you know last spring and it was everything was shutting down like like a lot of people. I was like, well, you know, we'll go do outdoor stuff with our family. We'll go hiking. We'll go to camping. Unfortunately, you know, for most of you that, that are listening, you know that I live in Virginia right now. The state of West Virginia would not allow non-residents to camp state parks, at their campgrounds. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was West Virginia residents only. So I. I was prepared to take my kids to Holly River for the first time. They've never been. And I was prepared to take them, let them enjoy all the things that, you know, I did when I was a kid and then got shut out. Uh, and we have that set up for the second, you know, that, that first couple of weeks of July after camps are done and assistant coaches go on vacation. That's when I'm going on vacation too. Um, so I think one of the, one of those weeks, my wife and I are celebrating our anniversary out in California uh, not that I'm a big fan of going out to California, but she's got a work conference out there. So take the free trip and the nice weather. Uh, but then going camping after that and really looking forward to that. Cause man, I, I really loved Holly river when I was a kid and I hope it's like at least half as good as I remember it as a kid. My friends, uh, my friend owns or his, her grandmother owns a big house on the Creek down there. Uh huh. It's gorgeous. And there's no cell phones. There's no internet. There's no cable, nothing down there. It's terrific. It's a complete yeah. unplug. Uh, I don't know, Chris, we may have to do this something here in the future because well, my answer to the question is, and I put this on the board, wiffle ball. Oh, like, I love wiffle ball. I love throwing a wiffle ball. I love home run derby. Um, and like you just could get out in the field and like you couldn't hang out with your friends and do stuff like that. And like, you know, that's not the main thing you do. Like you might have a wiffle ball in one hand and something in the other. It could be a, a drink. It could be a, a spatula or whatever. But there's just something about a wiffle ball that's just kind of fun to me, um, yeah. which leads me to this. Uh, bought some acres of land. Not far from here, um, in the woods. So I don't know. There's camping there if you ever want some place to camp, and they won't let you in the park, Chris. You can park yeah. on <laughs> acres for a while. I can give you the key. Uh, and it's on some. It's on the big sandy, and it's really nice. nice. But there's a cutout when you walk in. I haven't told my wife this, and she doesn't listen, so she'll never know. But when you walk in land, like it's, it's not been cleared or whatever. And by the way, if anybody knows anything about excavating or building a house, apart from weight, right now, I'm all open for advice and tips and discounts. To be frank with you. Uh, it's not cheap right now because of lumber. But anyways, right. there's a cutout where, like, let's just say that you're looking into the woods. Well, it opens up slightly from a certain point diagonally to your right and your left. And then those diagonal lines just kind of arch toward the middle. Feels a little bit like a diamond. There you go. I'm Set not, it I'm up. Not, I'm sure it's Ray Kinsella here, but, like, I'm not, I'm not proposing I'm going to build a wiffle ball field. But for the time being, like, there's... There's something you could hit a wiffle ball over and count it as a home run, I think. Uh-huh. I say go for it. Get, uh, I find a fence that's not made of lumber and uh, and oh. build it out there. Yeah. Bad tick season, by the way. Woof. I do not miss that. I, I don't I don't got tick problems. I got poison ivy problems. Been pulling 10 bags of that stuff out of my backyard. It's terrible. We just, walk, we just go walk around and try to find, like, there's Wonder Falls, which is a place that maybe people have heard of where... It's it's a fall, like a waterfall, and people go and hang out there and sun on rocks and jump off the waterfall all day. But to get there from where I have, my property is, is like a mile hike. And, man, you really got to check yourself when yeah. you get back because, like, it's just that time of year and it's really bad this year because, I don't know, maybe ticks didn't have anybody to leech on over the last year, and they're just very ambitious right now. Yep. Full circle. Well, I was going to say, I think, uh, I think that covers everything from the – well, not everything, obviously, because I'm going to answer a bunch of them in written format. I already have done most of them, and we'll post it later this afternoon. Mike, is there anything else you got coming up this week? Can look at some football schedule stuff, have some openings coming up. Who could be in the openings? Let's see. Who can't it be? Let's see. Um, there's some answers there. And then 
I think we probably owe some podcast time or some print time to looking ahead to Big 12 football. We've, we've already talked about like when West Virginia takes its first loss and when West Virginia beats a team that hadn't lost yet. There's also something out there now about your most underrated Big 12 teams. It's a pretty interesting answer by uh, Josh Pate. But I feel like it's it's not too soon to talk about the football season yet, is it? No, I think I think we're ready. I mean, we're, it, I always do this where it's one you know one thing leads into another, leads into another. Uh, admittedly, right now it's kind of not much going on. Us, again, usually it's coaches are out recruiting and stuff, but players are arriving. You know, we had our first wave of guys come in this past weekend. Uh, guys enrolling for the Maymaster uh, in a what twelve days? Another large. A uh, group of them, of, of high schoolers, will enroll. Uh, they're supposed to report by May 30th. Uh, June 1st, we get to recruiting camps, and those are spread out throughout the entire month. Then you get to July, quick little vacation, and then usually, and it hasn't been set yet, usually there's a camp at the end of July. Uh, no date, no no official word on that yet. And then it's fall camp, and that's it, and we're, and we're moving forward. So I think uh, I think it's perfectly fine to to start turning your attention that way. It's 102 days. It's your first Saturday. There you go. Unbelievable. Well, we'll start counting down sometime, but not now. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.